A few years ago, uh, when our oldest uh, daughter, Holly, was little, younger, she visited a friend, and uh, her friend was a devoted Christian, and their family was a deeply devoted Christian family. And they went and visited this family for a week. And when she came back, um, she told me that she'd had a, 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 a personal kind of awakening with the Lord. And I noticed in her life after that, she started to read her Bible more and read a lot of Christian books. And one of the things that she did was that um, every day when Elizabeth Elliot would come on the radio, Holly would get up and she would go into our uh, uh, dining room where my stereo was over in the corner and she would get a little chair and she would pull it up to those speakers and she would turn on that program and she would listen because she wanted to be a wife and mom so bad. And um, yesterday, Lord let Holly be a mom. So we... uh, have another grandchild, number seven, and uh, yeah, and uh, his name is Aiden Redemption. We sat in those pews right over there every Wednesday night, didn't we, Lois? And we prayed really hard that God would send Holly a husband, and he did, and and uh, so Holly's uh, uh, recovering from uh, some surgery, so I appreciate you, hundreds of you ought to be praying, and I really appreciate you praying that she completely recovers from that, and looks like she's doing good, so... I wanted to tell you how uh, moved we are and how grateful we are for all of you praying for us. Um, I can't tell you what that means to us and how grateful that we are and how much we love you and appreciate that. Okay. So in the last 24 hours, I think I've cried and prayed more than any 24 hours in my life. And um, I'm so glad to know the Lord and to have the Lord and be able to trust him. And... Uh, and to have uh, a, a, a good church full of people who love the Lord that will love you and pray for you. There's a farmer in Kentucky, a really interesting guy. His name is Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is not just a farmer. He's, a, he's an essayist, a novelist, a poet, a, cons- a conservationist. He spent a life in, in Kentucky, on the, and a little farm on the Kentucky River, and he writes unlike anybody else I've ever read. Uh, a little while ago, I got a gift uh, for a, a special day, uh, a collection of his poetry. How many of you like poetry? Raise your hand if you like poetry. I'm going to prove that you all like poetry in a minute. So I got, a, I got a, the collection of his poetry, and the collection is called Sabbath Poems. Now, here's how this works. With Wendell Berry would uh, go to church on, on Sunday, same church his grandfather went to, on Sunday afternoon, he walks on his farm, and he's quiet, and he's peaceful, and he doesn't work his farm, he just walks. And when he comes in from the walk, he sits down, and the thoughts that come to him, he writes poems. And he's done this for years, and they're collected in this beautiful book of poetry, Sabbath Poems. Well, um, people express the deep longings of their heart in art, in, art, in poetry, in art, in music, We express the deepest longings of our soul in whatever kind of music we like. And we don't understand other people's music. We often, right, don't understand how a person could possibly express himself this way. I'm thinking of Hannah Williams. uh, We were on a a, uh, trip. Uh, We were on a, I don't have her permission to tell this, so I might be getting in trouble here, but we were on a a trip, and I was trying to get to know her. Mom gives me the thumbs up. She must trust me. Um, And we're on this uh, missions trip. And I wanted to get to know Hannah. I didn't know her very well at the time. And, and so we're digging a hole together. She's beside me digging this hole. And I go, when you want to get to know a teen, one of the things to say is, so what kind of music do you like? And 
She told me, I don't remember what it was called, but I knew it was something I didn't listen to and my mother didn't listen to. And uh, it was like some kind of uh, emotive music, right? I'm not sure what it was. And I said, okay, well, that's cool. Why do you like that? And I remember her telling me because, basically her words were, because it expresses the longings of those people's hearts. Now, that's just what music does. That's what artwork does. It expresses the deepest longings of our hearts. So I kind of want to make fun of other people's music because it's expressing the deepest longings of their hearts. It's something that they like. That's why some of you all love the, those Gaither hymns, man. Right? If we could just have more of those Gaither hymns, that's heartwarming for a lot of us old folk. It just is. You didn't even laugh at that. But that's true, right? That's just like heartwarming. That's just like... The McCamies, Lois, right? We have, we have an old gospel group, and they were, they, while the kids were growing up, Lois would turn on this gospel music on Saturday night, and she would bathe the kids, and I would study, and the McCamies would sing. And whenever I hear them, I just weep when I hear them sing because they express my heart. They wouldn't probably express all of your hearts, but they express the deepest long of our soul. Now, last Sunday, I read you a poem from the Bible, one of the most beautiful poems in the Bible, from Ecclesiastes. This Sunday, I want to start with another poem that expresses the deepest longings of our heart. This is probably the most famous poem in the world. And when I ask how many of you love Psalm 23, raise your hand, I just proved that we all love poetry. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And then what does he say? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. All right, folks, so if you're following the God of the Bible, you're going to follow him to green pastures. You're going to follow him to still waters. And he's going to restore your soul He makes me lie down in green pastures. That probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but it would if you were a sheep. It's my daily privilege to take Hazzy for a walk. Hazard is our Yorkie. And he is so communicative. If you put on the right shoes and he can see that you're not going to work, he just goes into a dance because he knows you're going to take him for a walk. If I walk over to the pantry, I get a little plastic bag for you-know-what. Our second reference to this today, right? I, then he just goes crazy because he knows he gets to take a walk. This is a little dog. People often make fun of me while I'm walking him. Mr. Widener did that one day. I literally just stopped his car, came over, and just looked at me and laughed and goes, you've got to get a bigger dog. That is, you're a big man. That's a little dog. Nikki did that. And, uh, and a neighbor who I don't even know, one day, I'm just walking, I look at him, I kind of nod like that. He looks at me and he said the same thing. He just goes, <laughs> dude, you got to get a bigger dog. That's, that's you're a big dog. It's like, get a bigger dog. I'll have to have a lot bigger bag that way. I just didn't want to do that. Anyway, so when I take Hazard for a walk, if it's a long walk on a hot day, this happened the other day, he does the cutest thing. You know, they, they, he's just panting and working and walking, and then you'll find just a really beautiful shady spot. When you get to the, a real shady spot with really, with really beautiful green grass where the breeze is cool, he will lay down there, and sometimes he'll be behind you and you won't know it. He'll just lay down and you'll drag him for a couple of feet, and you'll look back and it's almost like, this is a beautiful spot. I'm just going to lay down right here. 
Isn't that great? Funny the stuff that comes to your mind while you're reading poetry. He leads me beside still waters and green pastures, and he <sighs> restores my soul. I just love that about him. And I wanted to talk to you two weeks about this because this means so much to me. And this is one of the great, rich privileges that only believers have to be rightly related to God so that our souls are no longer restless. How wonderful is it that we serve a God who wants our souls to be at rest? That's our God. You say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I work hard. Well, you should work hard and you should be creative and you should accomplish things. You should do a lot of that and you should really rest well. And that rest should go down deep in your soul. You know and I know that the rest we're talking about includes a physical rest, but it doesn't matter how much we rest physically or how many cruises we go on or how many relaxing things we do. If our souls are not at rest, we are not at rest. Our souls have to be at rest. And Jesus promises this. Uh, Take your Bibles and just lay eyes on Matthew uh, chapter 11 and verse 28. This is Jesus talking about what he does when he calls somebody to follow him. Um, he said, come to me, this is Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and what does he say? I will give you, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My, I love that. The only way you are ever going to have rest is if it starts inside and it works its way outside. And the only way you're going to have rest inside is if your confidence and your trust for everything is in Jesus. He's the one that said, you come to me and I will give you rest. So if you think you're following Jesus and you think you're a Christian and you have no rest, you're not following him well. Because to follow him well is to have rest. How beautiful is that? So the question is, are you really sure you're following Jesus? Jesus, I mentioned this on last Sunday night. I talked about it with those who were here. Six different times there's a record of Jesus having a conflict with the Pharisees over doing something on the Sabbath that was good that the Pharisees said he shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Six times. So these, these are six times recorded. There are probably lots of other times this happened, but the Bible records six times. Two of them are recorded in Mark, two in Luke, two in John. And here's a quick survey of them. There's a story of what I call the whole wheat snacks in Mark chapter 2. Jesus and his disciples are going through a field. They're gleaning on the Sabbath because they were hungry. And the, and the uh, Pharisee says, you shouldn't have done that. And he said, well, we were hungry. Don't you care? We were hungry. Jesus said, in, when he taught the Pharisees, that he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I said that last week. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And he said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, which is a way of saying, the Sabbath is good for you. The rest I have is good for you. It's intended to be good for people. And he said, I was hungry. We were hungry. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He wants to, he wants to have whole wheat snacks. He can. The second thing was in Mark 3, and it was a man with a withered hand. And Jesus healed the man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees were so angry that he healed a guy on the Sabbath that they plotted to murder him on the Sabbath. This is interesting, right? Religious hypocrisy is just really special, isn't it? They said, you can't heal on the Sabbath, but we can plot to murder you on the Sabbath. 
And then there was, um, in Luke 13, there was the woman who, had, who was bent over with a malady for 18 years, and she was Jewish, and he called her sweetly, he called her a daughter of Abraham. That was, that was just uh, shocking talk, because you didn't call women daughters of Abraham. You called men sons of Abraham, but then you didn't call women daughters of Abraham, because they had distorted, they were mis- mistreating women, and misunderstanding women, and depreciating women, and he didn't ever get involved in that. He says, this daughter of Abraham has been bent over for 19 years. Is it okay if I heal her, you know, 18 years? And, and he says to them in Luke 13, what were you thinking? Like, you weren't thinking. And then there was Luke 14, there was this man with, with edema. He had a swelling, this unusual swelling, a bad, uh, a bad malady in Luke 14. And, and he healed him on the Sabbath, and they complained, and he said, what if your ox, or what if your son fell into a pit on the Sabbath? Would you get him out? Um... Jesus over and over again was saying he, that we're to value people over, we're to value people over things. And we're to have value and love for people. And the Sabbath, the rest idea, it was made for people. It was good for them. It was best for them. And we also taught, you remember last week, that the Sabbath was part of the Jewish ceremonial law. It was also part of the Jewish customs or, or the, the Jewish civil law. And we also showed in the New Testament how in the New Testament church, the Sabbath or Saturday Sabbath keeping is not a part of what's binding on New Testament believers. But that was lifted. It was changed in the resurrection. And then a day of worship becomes the Lord's day. But it's not a Christian Sabbath. There's not a Sabbath transference. There's not a demand given to the church anywhere to continue Sabbath observance on Sunday. The Lord's day is a completely different thing. And And let's just review from last week. And last week we showed from the scriptures how you're not to judge other people about how they honor the Lord on the Lord's day or the other days that they're to honor the Lord on. But that the Bible does teach that we're to assemble, and the day of Christian assembly has been the day of the resurrection on Sunday. And so we obediently be the church assembling on the Lord's day. That's the come part right there. That's what it means to be church. The church is defined by the assembly. You are church because you assemble. It's part of what you do. And, uh, and yet, not the Sabbath restrictions and the Sabbath laws, like in the Ten Commandments, for instance, all of them are repeated in the New Testament, except the Fourth Commandment, which is the Sabbath commandment. But that's, that's review. The point here I'm making is that Jesus made the Sabbath to be good for us, to make us glad. It's a gift to us. And then in uh, John chapter 5 and in John chapter 9, in John chapter 5, you have the example of the man who's at the pool of Bethesda. That's why a lot of hospitals are called Bethesda. They were at the pool. He was at the pool of Bethesda. Anybody remember how many years? 38 years and not healed. And Jesus comes along and heals him. And the, and the disciples, the, the Pharisees, they criticized him for healing a man who'd been sick for 38 years. Don't tell me for one minute legalism isn't a problem. It was a problem for Jesus, and it's still a problem. So it's something that we want to watch really carefully. It sucks the heart out of the Christian faith. It's a demonic vortex. It isn't good. It's bad. And we don't want any part of that. But to honor God and to keep his law in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what it means to be Christian. And so now you have this other example in John chapter 9 of the man born blind. So you think about this. On the Sabbath, Jesus was seeing to it people were fed and that they were healed, and that they were delivered, and that they had their sight back. These were good things that Jesus had the right to do on the Sabbath, and these people opposed him. So the point I'm making with all of that 
is these six different examples is that Jesus very consistently pushed hard to, to, to help people see that the idea of rest is a gift that comes from God. Rest is a gift you can expect when you are following Jesus. And rest is a matter of it's, it's obedience. So the rest that's within us and, and the rest that's outside of us. So the heart of rest is a gift from God. And so two points today, and, and you know, multiple subpoints, of course, but two points. One is, so find rest for your soul in Christ. Find rest for your soul in Christ. This is another way of saying, be sure you're saved and you're right with the Lord. I was talking with one of our elderly men. Just, uh, well, just recently. And he told me how two of the members of our church came and visited him when he was very sick. And he had not been walking with the Lord. And when two of the members of our church, two of the women in our, in our church, came and visited him, it stirred his heart to renew his faith. And since that happened, he's here today. And he's been here almost every Sunday he physically can come. You know why? Because he began to follow Jesus. And he got rest in his soul. I ask him today, are you at peace with the Lord? Yes, I am. How sweet is that? That's what I'm talking about. you got to know you know the Lord. Know that you're right with God. Know that your sins are forgiven. Know that your past isn't going to be held against you. Praise be unto God. Know that even if your life is taken from you, then you enter into eternal life forever with God. Now you're going to be at rest in your soul, even if you lose your job, my goodness, even if you die. You're at rest because what is most valuable and most eternal can never be taken away from you because it's given to you through Jesus. This is this great longing that we have for rest is to push us into the arms of Jesus. And if you're not there, you will never be at rest. So find your heart's rest in Jesus. It's a gift that he wants you to have. Marva Dawn is a teacher, a woman who's a very capable Christian teacher, And she wrote a book, I love it, it's called Keeping Sabbath Holy, and she spelled it W-H-O-L-L-Y, like really keeping Sabbath. And she taught this. One of the things she says in her beautiful book is, God did not tell us to keep Sabbath holy to spoil our fun, but to deepen our joy. Isn't that beautiful? This is what the scriptures are teaching. Jesus didn't come up with this idea to spoil our fun, but to fulfill our joy. And every time he appeals us to follow him, it's an appeal to, to, be, uh, to have joy. Last Sunday, if you recall, I concluded the message with a story, or toward the end of the message, a story about hearing Joe Stoll, who was questioned about being busy. You remember that? And the lady says to him, you know, about the day off. And he says, like, somebody says, the, the, you know, the devil never took a day off. And Joe Stoll said, well, the devil's not my role model, but Jesus is my role model. Remember that? Well, there was more to the story. Joe Stoll answered that question. He was sitting on a panel. He was also with Georgie Vins. Somebody, after Joe Stoll answered the question, Georgie Vins cleared his throat. Anybody know who Georgie Vins is? A Russian pastor that had been imprisoned for years for his faith. He cleared his throat and spoke. And he says, well, I don't know. All I know is when I was in prison for 18 years, I never had a day off. When I was in prison for 18 years, I never got to go home and see my family at night. And he goes, and I know many pastors in Russia that had to go to prison for the church 
Now, what do you do with that? All of a sudden, he just took that to a lot deeper level, didn't he? What do you do with that? I went to the Mount Vernon Nazarene College because my brother was attending there for chapel service one time, and a guy told a story I have never forgot by, about a, a Chinese pastor whose name was Samuel Lin. Samuel Lin was a, a Chinese pastor that was put into a work camp, a prison camp. And while he was in the work camp, the work was so unrelenting and so difficult and so barbaric and so inhumane that he began to have one prayer to God. His prayer to God was, God, could I just have a wee bit of rest? Could I just have a place or or an assignment or a time when I could have just a little bit of time where I could spend time with you and I could sing hymns and I could pray? Not long after that, it seemed like things got worse. And the leaders of the camp came to him And they were trying to break him because he was a spiritual leader. And they gave him the filthiest assignment in the camp. They said, your job is going to be to stand in the cesspool where human waste is pumped into that, that, and to scoop the solids out of the human waste. And it was a horrifying job. It was a horrifying smell. He literally had the assignment to stand in the cesspool and scoop out human waste. Later, when he was released from prison, he went to the Lausanne Conference on World Evangelization. He's a little diminutive Chinese pastor, and he was elderly by this time, and he told the story, and he said, while I'm standing in the cesspool, all of a sudden I realize that God has answered my prayer, and he's given me a place where no one else wants to be around me, and I can sing to the top of my lungs, and the little pastor began to sing, they say, there was not a dry eye in the whole place when he said, he says, this is the song I would sing, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Here's what Pastor Samuel Lynn said. He said, if you are with the Lord, he turns a cesspool into a garden. But without the Lord, even a garden is a cesspool. The rest that we have is a deep kind of rest that comes from inside, even if we have much difficulty and much hardship on the outside. And so there's a sense of a gift. In Isaiah 58, there's a, there's a, the prophet Isaiah speaks to Israel. And he talks to Israel about the Sabbath. And he's saying to them, you're rejecting my law and you're ignoring the Sabbath and you're doing your own thing instead of delighting in the Lord. It's interesting, the language that the prophet uses, inspired by God, is that to observe the Sabbath for the Jewish people was to find their delight in the Lord. He didn't say, follow me, you're not ever going to be happy again, follow me. He said, the way to be happy is to follow me. The way to have delight is to follow me. And this is what it says in Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. If you turn back your foot from Sabbath, doing your pleasure on my holy day, and if you call Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not doing your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will have you ride on the high heights of the earth, and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. What's he saying? He's saying, if you follow my law in the Old Testament economy there, the civil law, the ceremonial law of keeping Sabbath, if you keep the Sabbath and you honor me in doing that, you'll ride on the high places of the earth like an eagle. You'll soar on the, the, on the wind over the mountains. And I will feed you with the heritage of my father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken this. He's saying this to Israel. He's saying their way of expressing their fidelity to God was in keeping the Sabbath. 
Our way of expressing our fidelity to God is by recognizing that Jesus is our Sabbath and delighting in Him. And now we're getting down to the practical heart of how you really rest. You will find that your soul will be at rest when you're right with the Lord and your delight is in Jesus Christ who is our rest as our Sabbath. The more that our delight is in the Lord, the more rest we have in our souls no matter how hard things get in our life. That's what the Scriptures teach us. So there's a gift. The rest is a gift. The heart at rest is a gift from God. And there, and there are three things here that I think make this a gift. One is you, when, when the heart is at rest in the Lord, then you have a rhythm in your life. It's like the beating of the heart. Your heart beats. You have the heartbeat of the universe inside you. And Wendell Berry, the Kentucky farmer, on his walks, he observes in one of his poems, a number of them, that... The land has to rest for a certain... And he knows this because he's a conservationist. And he's... Uh, matter of fact, he appeals hard for c- conservation in America. And one of the things he notices that the, what the ancient Hebrew Bible says is that the world was created by God and it was made to, war- to rest. And then he appeals to the Scripture's teaching of the seventh-day Sabbath and he appeals to the Scripture's teaching about the year of Jubilee. And how in the Old Testament there was a law that there would be a certain time that would come and all the debts would be forgiven and all the slaves would be released and the land would be at rest and things would be returned uh, to the Lord. And if you're like I am, when I hear that, I think of a Michael Card song, one of his most beautiful songs, Jubilee. Listen to it this afternoon. Not right now if you don't mind, but this afternoon. And and you'll see that. that and And the year of Jubilee is the picture of Jesus. That when a person comes to faith in Christ and walks with the Lord, then they are like a slave set free. Then their debts are all forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? And was it, Sandy, you say this all the time in the church office. You look into your judge's face and see a Savior there. You like to say that, don't you? It's out that same song. Jesus, our judge, becomes Jesus, our Savior. How beautiful is that? That's why you should... No one follow the Lord, because your deepest longings for rest are only going to be satisfied in Jesus and as you follow Jesus. So there's this rhythm. And the second thing, there's, there's a refreshment that comes. Um, in Exodus, they're, they're, the, the children of Israel come out of Egypt, where they were enslaved, remember? And they were forced to make bricks of seven days a week, and they said, you know, let my people go so that they can go and we can worship you. They just want to go even in the wilderness so they can worship you. And then they have trouble in the wilderness, and then Moses appeals to God, and Moses' prayer to God is, Now, God, you didn't, I know that you didn't release us from the Egyptians to hurt us. You released us from the Egyptians to, to bless us. And, you know, we don't want the Egyptians saying, Look how bad God's treating his people. So Moses appeals to God, rightfully so, saying, I know you mean good for us. I know it's going to be better for us that you released us. You might think in your life, I, ha- I can't decide if I really should follow my own heart or if I should follow Jesus and let him change my heart. Can I just say you'll never find rest in your soul until you decide you're going to follow Jesus. He made you. He loves you. He has a plan for good. The rhythm of the universe is the rhythm that God put into the world and he put it into your heart. And there's a refreshment in that. As someone said to an elderly Jewish man one day, it's amazing to me how the Jewish people have preserved the Sabbath for many centuries. And the old Jewish man chuckled and said, oh no, it's the Sabbath that's preserved the Jews for many centuries. That's the way it is with God's ways. It's the ways of God that preserve us. 
We don't have to worry about preserving God's ways. It's God's ways and God's truth and God's life and God's heart that is our very heart. It preserves us, if you will. Eugene Peterson is a writer that I appreciate. And he said when he was a young pastor, he worked really hard and he felt like he should do it seven days a week. So there on Monday, after his busy Sunday, he'd go right back in and go to work. And after a while, he just kind of was burning out. His wife said to him, why don't, we, why don't we observe a day of rest there on Monday? And so they, this is what they began to do. They would get in their car on Monday when the busy Sunday was over, and they would drive to a beautiful place to walk. And he said they would walk out until lunchtime, and their agreement was they would walk together silently. This would be a little farther than you and I would walk, Lois, I think. They walk together, They would walk together silently until lunchtime. And then they would have lunch, and then they would walk quietly back together and have conversation about what they read. And then they would go quietly home and have a quiet dinner. And then they would begin their work on Tuesday morning. And if you followed Eugene Peterson's life, you'd see he's an incredibly productive pastor, an incredibly productive servant of God. And he would say one of the ways that he did that was to have this refreshment of a day when he really didn't do any kind of work. Some of you are familiar with the book that's common in secular circles that's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You ever heard of that? Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, written by a guy named Stephen Covey. One of the things he says in his book, one of the seven habits of highly effective people, what am I going to say? Sharpen the saw. Sharpen the saw. Where'd he get that? Well, it wasn't original with him. Spurgeon talked about that 150 years ago. Listen to this. Spurgeon says, look at the mower on a summer's day. This is a person with a scythe, right? Uh, Didn't have any uh, bush hogs when Spurgeon was preaching. Look at the mower on a summer's day. There's so much to cut down before the sun sets. He pauses in his labor. Is he a sluggard? He looks for a stone, and he begins to draw it up and down the side. Rink-a-tink, rink-a-tink, rink-a-tink. He's sharpening the blade. Is that idle music? Is he wasting precious moments? How much he might have moaned while he was ringing out those notes on his blade. But he is sharpening his tool. He will do far more when once again he gives his strength to the long sweeps which lay the grass prostrate in rows before him. Even thus a little pause will prepare the mind for greater service in a good cause. And Spurgeon didn't make that up. Jesus is the one who said, come to me and I will give you rest. And so this is the way the universe is. So you have, the, you have these, the, the, the rest that God gives us, the Sabbath rest that God gives our souls. And the practice of rest in our life is a gift from God. There's a rhythm in it. There's a refreshment that comes. And this is true too. In the, the scriptures teach clearly that to do this is, uh, contributes to reverence. Rhythm, refreshment, reverence. It's like... Have you ever been walking and always looking down? And you realize, I haven't looked up for a long time. And I wonder what I've missed. Reverent people, listen carefully. People who factor God into what they're doing are people that kind of look up. 
especially they take certain times of the day, certain times of the week, certain times of the month, certain times of the year, and they, they just take that time to look up. Maybe that's all you need to do. I know you're overwhelmed with work. I know things are hard for you. I know that you may have debts and difficulties. Things in your life may not be what you'd like for them to be. All of us have been burdened by heartaches about living in this fallen world, but God's word is still true, and there is a rest for our souls that's special, unique for those of us who know the Lord. And so what I'm I'm getting at practically is be sure you are a follower of Jesus or your soul will never be at rest. You probably got that, right? Be sure you are a follower of Jesus or your soul will never be at rest. And the second thing is build rest into your life. Build rest into your life. This is what the scriptures actually teach. Jesus taught this. Um, There should be traditions of rest. There should be times of rest. There should be places of rest. There should be, like, implements of rest. I know a story once of a fellow who he bought a special chair and the special chair in a special place just so that that would be his place where he meets with the Lord. I don't know what it is for you, but there, there should be a place like that. There should be uh, a time. There should be special uh, arrangements that you make to be at peace and to have rest. So years ago, we were in Kentucky in the mountains, and the kids were pretty small. We were camping out on the weekend, and we had our tent set up down by a uh, little creek. And um, all the kids were home back then. And uh, we were just trying to get by. We didn't have too much to work with. But there we were in this campground with our uh, sleeping bags rolled out on the, on the ground. And in the afternoon, Lois and I think maybe her sister, at the time they were doing that stamp, or the, uh, the, uh, the um, creative memories, just scrapbooking. And so they got their scrapbooks out. You remember this? And they were sitting at the picnic table, and they were taking all their little pictures of the family growing up and all their pictures from growing up, and they were putting them in their little scrapbooks. And I just walked by, and I glanced, and I had that shock that you get as a dad when you realize your kids are growing up really fast. My goodness, they were young men, but I just looked at their baby pictures, and I remember like when Kyle was born, I bought this little eagle for him, and I brought it to him the day he was born, a little, had a little house state outfit on like every child should have you know when they're born i bought him that that you could have laughed at that would have been charitable to do that brought him a little high state outfit just like you do you would with your team and put that on him and took his little picture there and and now all of a sudden here he is you know he's, he's all grown up and uh that night when everybody went to sleep i lay there in the tent you could hear the creek outside running and I listened, and then I could hear all the kids breathing, and I realized that they were all asleep. I'd been under some pressure at the church and some criticism from people, and I was trying to, you know, trying to keep everybody happy and trying to be where I was supposed to be and do what I was supposed to do, and everybody else had a different idea about where I should be and what I should do. And then I was thinking about the kids growing up really fast, and I got up out of the tent, and I took a walk that night. And uh, I thought about it for a while, found a stump, and I sat down, and I made up my mind. I thought back a conference I went to years before where the guy had said, you need to have red dot days in your life. A red dot day is when you go take a little red adhesive dot, and you get your calendar out, and you might be really, really busy, but there might be times when you find a day when you put a red dot on that day, you just say, nobody's going to take any appointments on this day. We're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to answer the phone unless it's an emergency. This is a red dot day. And I didn't do it exactly that way, but I made up my mind in the mountains of Kentucky that night. I'm not going to let my kids grow up, and I'm not going to be a stranger to my own kids. I'm not going to hurry around and try to make 
everybody else happy and not adequately love my children. And so I made up my mind that I was going to work really hard in the church and be the best pastor I could be and be there when people needed me. But then there were going to be certain days that I just belonged to my family. When I go out and I clean the garage now and I go through all the stuff that reminds me of all those red dot days, it takes me forever because I have to stop and cry tears of joy of the times that we had together that I wouldn't, you couldn't give me all the money in the world. You couldn't trade me all the money in the world for those times. And you know I'm right. There will come a day when you will wish you had built some rest into your life. You would put some red dot days. You know what I'm, what I'm doing in this is, is, is essentially, here's the, here's the message, right? And that is, a heart at rest is a gift from God. And so you need to find rest for your soul in Christ. And you need to build rest in your life. Isn't that a simple message? I wanna, what I'm trying to say in these two messages, I want to give you permission and proof from the Scriptures. I'm trying to give you permission to do what it, what it means to be a disciple. You know, to, a disciple is a person who obeys the commands of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. As a Christian who obeys the commands of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, among his delightful commands, are commands to consider the lilies, the flowers, and to observe the birds. And to do that, you just have to take it easy. I'm trying to give you permission. I heard a story. And Dale, you might want to come help me on this one. I heard a story not too long ago about a pastor who had a surgeon who was... uh, a heart surgeon in his church. And a surgeon said to the pastor, come and watch me do what I do. And the, the pastor came and watched him do an open heart surgery. And when he did this open heart surgery, they literally take the heart out of the person's chest and they work on the heart and the heart stops and they work on the heart. And when they got the heart, when they got the heart fixed, he put the heart back in the woman's chest. And the heart has to begin to beat on its own, but her heart didn't beat. And the pastor said that the the surgeon got down on his knees and he took the woman's hand and he said, I've done everything that I can do and your heart is good. Now you need to tell your heart to beat again. And when he did, her heart started to beat again and a life came back into her. And he wrote a song about that. I want you to hear it. And while you hear it, I want you to give your heart permission to beat again, to follow Jesus is to fully live. Let's listen to this song. Where are you? 
see Billy Graham on TV at the end. He preaches and at the end they say, come down front if you want to be saved and be a follower of Jesus. And then people just go flocking down there and follow the Lord. Many, many people have come to follow the Lord that way. I want to give an invitation today. Listen carefully how it's going to work. Just really simple. Some of you know you need to start following Jesus today. And here's what I want you to do. We're not going to have you come forward, although you can afterward. When, when I'm done talking here, um, then we'll be dismissed. I'm going to pray and we'll be dismissed and I'm going to stay here. And if you want to come and talk to me, we'll set up a time for you to meet with somebody who can explain to you about how you can be a follower of Jesus. A lot of you, uh, are, you would say, I am a follower of Jesus. And, then, and you would say, but I haven't really been at rest. And so we, we want to give you permission to do that and to explore that and to understand that and to be at rest in the Lord. That's the kind of church we want to be. Hey, um, I'm going to pray now and... Uh, if you if you're, uh, want to follow the Lord Jesus and uh, you don't have somebody that you can go talk to and say, explain to me how to become a follower of Jesus, and, or you come down and talk to me and we'll help you. Right, as I'm standing right here after we dismiss you. Um, tonight is a very special night in our church's life and the, and, the, and, the, and the annual calendar because we have a little tradition that we like here, and that is that we kick off our VBS week on the Sunday night at 6 o'clock. 
So Vacation Bible School is going to going to about 80 workers and and uh, and there are maybe was it was it is it 90? There's 120 altogether. I know with VBS. Somebody answer that. There, with VBS and with Mud Wars, there's a huge group of our people that are serving. Maybe that involves you. It could involve every one of you if if you prayed and if you know somebody that you'd like to invite. Everybody could be involved. But tonight at six o'clock we meet. It's a fun night. Uh, it's about an hour-long meeting, and what we'll, we'll do is we'll hear from Jessica Bell, who's our own kid. If we, we can say it to a young lady from our church, and also an ABWE missionary appointee to Brazil, and uh, she's raising her support right now, and she's she's going to she's going to share her story, and she's just full of life. I think you'll really be encouraged to hear her. She'll be encouraged if you come, and and then we're going to hear about the ministry of VBS this week and Mud Wars, and we're just going to kind of gather together as a family, and we're going to pray about that. We're going to ready ourselves, and I will give a talk too, and it will be extremely extremely, extremely short, honest. You reacted to that just the same way you did about the Ohio State outfit, just like dead. Let's pray. And Lord, I pray that uh, in our room here that there would be some who weren't, didn't consider themselves followers of Jesus when they came in, and, and now they want to be followers of Jesus Please, Lord, I pray, draw them across the threshold into the house of God, into the family of faith. And there are others who have a scar on their chest, just hurt, pain, misunderstanding, and they, they need to, to, their heart to beat again. They need to start living again. They need to follow their longings to you again. Help them to do that, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.